Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be taking a look at the landscape in investment trusts. At the moment, we're going to be looking at the factors driving pricing in investment trusts. And to do that, we're very kindly joined by the Chief Executive and CIO of BRI Wealth Management, Dan Boardman Weston. Dan, thank you much for being on the podcast today. Morning, Jonathan. How are you? Yes, very well. Thank you. Thank you very much for, for being with us. So, on the UK Investor Magazine podcast, listeners will be aware that we regularly have managers of investment trusts on and we discuss their trusts in detail. But what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be looking at the broader landscape out there for investment trusts here in the UK, what's driving prices and what we can expect in the year to come. But before we get into it, Dan, please would you be able to give us an introduction, first of all, to yourself as well as BRI, please? Yeah, so um, I'm Dan, Chief Exec and, uh, of BRI Wealth Management. I've been in the industry for about 13, 10, 12, 13 years or, or so. Um, I actually took sort of a bit of a weird career path to get to where I got to. I, I came into the industry when I was 18, um, sort of straight from school, and then did all of my professional qualifications and then left for a year or so in 2017 to do a, a master's in business administration. And then returned and, and have been with BRI ever since. So we're a Midlands-based wealth management firm. We offer both financial planning and investment uh, management. We've been in business for over 50 years now, uh, which is quite quite impressive. Uh, we look after about £600 million of clients' uh, assets. And that's predominantly invested in a combination of unit trusts, direct equities and investment trusts uh, also. Um so yeah, that's probably uh, the non-boring uh, intro to BRI and, and me. Thank you. Thank you very much. So you touched on there that you're, you're using investment trusts. And of course, we're going to be discussing investment trusts today. So it would be good to get before we start going into the landscape for, for investment trusts, how BRI implement them and where they fit in to the portfolios of your clients. So at the moment, they typically fit into sort of two broad buckets. One of those is is REITs and one of those is um, alternative slash infrastructure. And it's pleasing that the UK market has got a lot of very good quality REITs and, uh, and infrastructure investment trusts um, on it. And so we feel they add a lot of value to, to client portfolios. And these are typically underlying assets that either you can't access in an open-ended structure like a unit trust, or you shouldn't, in our mind, really access and so we think it just adds something different to the portfolio, increases diversification, um, and over the long term, increases uh, returns as well. Thank you. So I just want to touch on now you know, the types of clients that you see investing in investment trusts, because you know, once upon a time, it's very much an institutional professional area, but increasingly, retail clients are investing heavily into investment trusts and looking at the shareholder registers of some of these investment investment trusts dominated by private clients you know how are you seeing that develop at, at BRI and you seeing a very strong demand for 
from retail clients for investment trusts at BRI as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I think there's a, a slight generational thing with investment trusts. I think older investors are a lot more comfortable and familiar with them. And where we maybe take on uh, portfolios that people have been managing themselves of a sort of a, an older generation, they're usually um, you know stacked full of investment trusts. I think, however, with sort of maybe people below a certain age and, and, and the younger investor generation, I don't really think there's that. I think there's a lack of awareness about what investment trusts are um, and actually why they should be a you know a large part of a, a long-term investor's uh, portfolio. So we do see a lot of portfolios with, with a lot of investment trusts, but I think this, that we and we'll probably touch on this. I mean, the investment trust sector has evolved a lot over the last decade. But there's still a lot of sort of how I would describe them as a sort of sleepy and subscale investment trusts that probably aren't right for most investors to be holding over the medium to, to, to long term. But actually, we've had a lot of very good issuance over the last uh, 10 years or so. And so some of the newer investment trusts that have listed on the market uh, are really quite exciting, uh, and especially at the prices they're trading at at the moment. Yeah, I think that's a good point to, to actually pick up on. Dan, you know, you've obviously mentioned there that, that there's, to some extent, legacy investment trusts there, which aren't as interesting as, as maybe some of the, the newer ones. Would you be able to go into a little bit more detail about the types of the, these trusts and, and what the underlying assets are of, you know, first of all, those ones which are a little bit sleepy, as you describe, and, and those newer ones which are a little bit more exciting? Yeah, I think I think typically the sort of older, sleepier ones are the ones that have been uh, clearly around longer. And typically, they're tended to focus on uh, the equity investment trust. So they're investing in you know Asian equities or U.S. equities or U.K. equities, whatever it is. And the trouble is because either they're perpetually trading at discounts, not really just a sort of a factor of the last eighteen months uh, or so. And because maybe they haven't got the, you know, the the awareness as uh, amongst wealth managers and private investors, they just remain a bit subscale, um, and sort of no real prospect of discounts closing unless there's some sort of corporate activity, which granted we have seen a bit bit more of recently. So I think um, I think how I would sort of view generally the um, investment trust sector is that there's probably quite a lot of smaller subscale equity investment trusts that you know we don't allocate to and I, I would struggle to make a, a valid case to allocate towards them but I think as you move up and sort of move into the investment trust that are sort of probably probably north of half a billion pounds in size there's a few good equity ones you know Scottish mortgage you know granted that's a bit of equity and a bit of private uh, stuff um, but there's a lot more of the alternative assets that, as I said, said earlier, really, we think add quite a lot to, to investors' portfolio, A, from a diversification perspective and, and B, from a potential returns perspective. Thank you. So you mentioned their discounts in investment trusts at the moment, Dan, and, and they're, they're pretty significant across the board. It doesn't matter whether you're looking at a straight up equity one or, or one investing in private equity, for example, or infrastructure. There's some very big discounts out there what do you see is the biggest biggest driver for for discounts at the moment and and what do you see as being a catalyst for these discounts to be alleviated going forward i think that's a very good question and it is something that a lot of people are starting to ask or have been asking over the last six months and there seems to be a bit more um awareness around what is causing these issues and, and in my mind there's sort of 
there's three main things. There's probably other things, but three main things. One is that I think um, M&A activity in the wealth management and, and discretionary fund management space doesn't help because typically wealth managers have been large owners of, uh, you know, a variety of investment trusts. And if you've got significant amounts of M&A, then you've either potentially got uh, investment propositions changing where they might not include investment trusts or they might include different investment trusts or where they own far too much uh, of a particular investment trust. You know, they might own 25 or 30 percent and then you get into liquidity concerns. So my, my gut feel is there's probably been some forced sellers from the wealth management space over the last 18 months, two years. I think another thing which is really unhelpful is the cost and charges disclosure around investment trusts, uh, which you and many of your listeners may or may not be familiar with, but just to do with the CRIPS regulations. And it basically means that investment trusts look really, really expensive. Or most of them do. Uh, for investors, and because uh, of annual costs and charges disclosures now by by wealth managers, which you know we think are a, g- a good thing, it's, it's a good thing to increase that transparency. But you've got some of these investment trusts where optically it looks like the costs are sort of two and a half or three percent a year to own the investment trust, and it's not. And so I think you probably again had a little bit of forced selling from people or, or wealth managers that don't want the hassle, to be quite honest, of trying to explain to someone why it says 3% cost or 2% cost and why it isn't in, in reality. So I don't I don't think that's helped. I think the final thing, uh, and is, is probably the most obvious, is just the general um, investing climate and economic uncertainty that we've had for the last 18 uh, months. Interest rates have, have risen uh, incredibly quickly. Inflation has been high. Please, pleasing to see that that's, that's falling. And economic uncertainty, along with geopolitical uncertainty, uh, abounds. And I think this has all just led to a a pretty toxic um, environment for investment trusts to to operate in. I mean, when you add on top of that, the fourth reason I've just sort of thought of as well, is that whilst I think issuance of investment from investment trusts over the last 10 years has been good, there have been a lot of good new names that have launched on the market, there have been some ones that have burnt investors um, of late. You know, home REITs clearly has, has, has not been the best for, for investors. Um, Thomas Lloyd, again, a few issues there at the moment. And then um, hypnosis, of course, has been in the in the press as, as, as well. So I, I just think there's a, there's a confluence of factors that is leaving investment trusts at pretty much the widest discounts that they've been at since the depths of the financial crisis. And it's a great opportunity. Well, that's how we view it anyway. So j- just going back to these factors here that are driving the, the, the discounts, I mean, how much do you feel this is something to do with the sentiment around the, the UK at the moment? Or, or is it something that's really representative of what's happening across the, the globe? And if you look at the you know, growth figures here in the UK compared to other economies, particularly the, the US, for example, we're, we're lagging behind there. Do you think there's a, a general contagion to some extent of the view of the UK economy and where that is and that filtering through in, into the London listed investment trusts? 
That's a really interesting question. It's one one that I've not really thought about in the past. But what I would say is that the UK stock market at an aggregate level is cheap, you know, and it's been cheap since since Brexit, really. There, there is a discount that's applied to, to, to the wider market. But interestingly, and I suspect if you were to run the numbers, for a lot of investment trusts, really up until the end of 2021, they were trading on premiums to net asset value, whereas traditional equities were still very cheap from price to earning, a relative price to earnings perspective on, on the stock market. So I think there's maybe a little bit of sort of hesitancy and nervousness about the UK. But I think I think the large part of why we're seeing this discount is not, is not that UK UK factor that does affect the rest of the uh, the rest of the stock market. Yes, I mean we were looking at a trust very very recently, and it's a trust of the mega cap tech stocks: <laughs> Microsoft, Apple, Meta, Tesla, trading at a twelve percent discount. Yeah, which is you know in effect you can go in and buy the biggest world's biggest companies uh, for twelve percent cheaper than they're trading on the market. So. There is obviously many factors at uh, at play here, but I want to move on now, Dan, and, and look at you know the the more illiquid assets and you know private equity, infrastructure, some forms of of property, and look at the discounts there because they are significant, and you might be able to bring in some of the cases that you're holding within your your portfolio if you have infrastructure mm-hmm. um, investment trust there. I mean, what do you think's driving this? Is it, you know, if we take UK infrastructure for example, do you think that again this is around the pessimism around what's happening in the in the UK, or is it a valuation uh, story that that people are a little bit sceptical about what the underlying valuations are of the of these assets and and how they're calculating the NAV within within the investment trust? And of course, you know that that's particularly. Uh, important for private equity so you know these ones you know looking at some of them 30 percent 40 percent discounts to nav what what do you think is happening there to drive these huge discounts in some of these trusts i I think there is a bit of skepticism in certain sectors and and more so in certain names um about how maybe they're marking these assets to to market um, and I think thus you are seeing sort of quite wide discounts in, in areas where there's maybe not as much clarity over pricing, such as such as private equity. I mean, what I would say at the aggregate level is I think I think in in, in property definitely in most parts of the private equity space, um, valuations have come down over the last eighteen months. I think if valuations had, had, had sort of stayed relatively uh, stable, then you quite rightly have got to ask questions because the world has changed immeasurably from a financial and economic perspective over the last couple of years. But most most trusts have been pretty active at marking down the value of their value of their assets from a property and an infrastructure perspective as well, with with moving discount rates uh, up. I think private equity is 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 interesting or slightly more interesting because I think it is a bit murkier um and I still think there are lingering concerns over maybe private equity as an industry and how these things sort of get valued and and and, and marked to market and and as you say that probably links in with why we are seeing some of the highest levels of discount in the private equity private equity space but you know even if the assets aren't worth what they say, uh, you know, what the, what the, what they're marked at on average, 
you've got a big margin of safety at a 40, 45, 50% discount to NAV. You know, that, 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 that is, you're buying assets for 60p in the pound. There's got to be a lot of pessimism or write-downs to get anywhere close to, to that level of, of write-down. And I think they just seem too, too wide. I mean, and that's just traditional private equity. If you go into the sort of the more growthy private market stuff, and there's, you know, there's a few uh, trusts uh, on the London market that are like that. You're looking at discounts of 50, 55, 60%. So what one instance, I think it's 65 or 70% for a, uh, a, a fund. And again, that is a huge margin of safety over the long term. You've got to make some pretty miserable assumptions for um, that margin of safety to be eroded over the medium to long term. Thank you, thank you. So, as you were, as you were speaking, Dan, there's another question which is which is sprung to mind, and, and and this is probably more a question about BRI's approach, and and it's a question about active versus uh, passive investments. You, you mentioned there that you invest in in unit trusts as well as uh, investment trusts. You know, do you think that the move towards passive in, in ETFs is having an impact on investment trusts? And how much weight do you put on the expertise of the active managers? And how are you using that within BRI? The active managers on the investment trust side or unit trust? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And unit trust as well. Yeah, I mean, look, p- passives have, have just dominated over the last 10, 15 years. And I I don't think that's a trend that's going to... Um, abate anytime soon or, 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 or diminish. And I think you've, you've got investors now that are just starting to allocate either completely passively or looking at maybe the markets over the long term where it's been trickiest to, to outperform them, maybe America and, and other markets and, and allocating passively. Um, and I don't think this necessarily does do favours for, for the investment trust sector, especially when I think investors are uh, increasingly cost conscious and investment trusts typically or can look quite expensive, so I don't think that does does help a lot. But I genuinely believe, even if we weren't seeing the level of discounts that we're seeing at the moment, that having investment trust and and um, sort of alternative asset exposure within a portfolio is beneficial to long term investors. I mean, you just cannot really access property or infrastructure or, or, or whatever it is in open-ended funds or, or in or in passive funds uh, properly. And, you know, we've all seen the statistics over the long term that investment trusts typically tend to outperform. Why is that? Uh, it's probably slightly uh, to do with um, sort of uh, illiquidity premiums on the underlying assets and sort of more specialist uh, asset classes. I think part of it is to do with good good managers uh, at the investment trusts and part of it is to do with uh, the ability to gear uh, clearly now if you're a long-term investor and you've got i don't know 10 20 30 year time horizon wh- why wouldn't you want to have a little bit of gearing in an investment trust to boost your returns i'd much rather own 110 percent of you know an asset class over the long term than, than a maybe 95% in a unit trust because you know they typically have to carry a bit of bit of cash um so i think investment trust it's a great shame that i don't think investment trusts play um as large a role as they should do in investors portfolios 
to be fair, that's not been a bad call over the last couple of years, given how far discounts have have widened. But from where we are now, you know, I think investors, whether professional or private, whatever it is, should really be considering a decent allocation to investment trusts. There's some fantastic trusts trading at discounts that are just far too wide. And as I say, you've got to make some very pessimistic and miserable assumptions over the next three, five, ten years, um, you know, to, to, to erode that significant margin of safety. Thank you very much, Dan. So one question here that we're going to finish off with, I'm sure a lot of listeners to this will be very interested to hear your thoughts on. And it's any sectors, of course, we've touched on on various sectors here and we've discussed the, the discounts. So to some extent, you've you've already touched on this, but I want to finish off with this. You know, which sectors do you feel are at a point now where they're ripe for a sharp reversal in their discounts? I think... I think the biggest ones are infrastructure, property, and, and private equity. And I know we've talked about those, but but they're large sectors, and I, I think they're I think they're important. I mean, just look at um, look at yesterday. I mean, the, we're recording this on the the third of November, so yesterday was uh, after the Fed meeting, uh, and of course we had the Bank of England as well. There were property investment trusts that moved ten percent yesterday, just on the back of slightly more. Um, I suppose, dovish expectations from a monetary policy perspective and maybe some realisation or hope that we're at the peak of interest rates and actually inflation is getting under control. Stuff moved 10% yesterday in one day. I mean, that it's absolutely crazy. Um, and so I think property where discounts are still 30 40%, and this isn't sort of offices or, or, or retail stuff. I'm really thinking sort of warehouses and industrial assets, uh, or, or sort of uh, student property, um, they're on big discounts, and I think that's very unjustified. And, and, and they will move um, move tighter over time, especially as the underlying asset class is doing pretty well. I mean, rental growth has been very strong this year. Um, I think uh, infrastructure. I mean, discount rates have, have, have moved uh, quite a bit higher, but actually, some of these trusts are yielding sort of seven and a half, eight percent on fully covered um, dividends. I think that's an attractive place to be over the next uh, 10 years or, or, or so. And private equity as well, I think, just sheerly because of um, discounts being so wide, 40 50%. Um, you might see a further right down in the NAVs, but 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 nowhere near um, that much. So I think those three areas are probably um, ripe for discounts to close substantially over the next period of time you know this could be well it was a day yesterday it could be a month it could be a year it could be a couple of, of years but there's a lot of value there and I think what's pleasing to see well sort of it's a double-edged sword in my mind is with there's a lot of boards conducting strategic reviews there I think they're acutely aware of discounts and, in, and investor discomfort about them there's a lot more private equity uh, interest in terms of sort of buying uh, investment trusts because they're trading at big discounts. We've got activist investors really starting to ramp up, you know, with AVI and we've got Saba Capital, who I believe are raising a $500 million fund just to invest in UK investment trusts. So I think that's going to start closing discounts as well. So that's a good thing. The flip side of that, which I think is, is not necessarily good for the sector in the long term, is that you will see uh, trusts get taken over, good trusts, and you will see the sector shrink 
and diminish in, in size, which um, would be a great shame for what I think is such a valuable um, sector for, for investors and one which has so much rich history, especially in the UK. Dan, thank you. Thank you very much. Just a quick note to, to listeners. If you are interested in investment trusts, do check out the video section and podcast section on the UK Investor Magazine website because we do have regular interviews with UK investment trust managers, a broad range from private equity through to straight up equity through to infrastructure. So do check out those sections and you can listen to some interviews and get deeper insights into some of those trusts there. So Dan, thank you very much for being with us today. Pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. And thank you very much to everyone for listening. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.